Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. If you have your Bibles, did you open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Just want to invite everybody out to the Good Friday service. This is the week leading up to the weekend where we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have a church or they don't have a Good Friday service or a Resurrection Sunday service, why don't you come on out on Friday, 9.30 a.m., 10 o'clock. We're going to just worship, bless the Lord, and honor that sacrifice, the great sacrifice of our Savior. And then we're going to gather on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for the Resurrection Sunday service. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, reading first from the voice. It reads, you see, the controlling force in our lives is the love of the anointed one. And our confession is this. One died for all, therefore all have died. He died for us so that we will all live, not for ourselves, but for him who died and rose from the dead. We are all governed by a controlling force. Every person in this auditorium tonight is governed by a controlling force, and it might be different. For certain people. Or it might be the same. We find unity when we have one controlling force governing all of us. When we fall in line under the new life, the new standard of Jesus Christ. A controlling force is what drives us. It's what compels us and propels us and impels us. A controlling force is what demands of us and commands us. Really, it fires us and it fuels us, doesn't it? It drives us forward. It causes us to move a controlling force in our lives. And again, I'd say that every one of us in this room tonight has a controlling force. The J.B. Phillips New Testament reads, the very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. We look at it like this, if one died for all men, then in a sense, they all died. And his purpose in dying for them is that their lives should now be no longer lived for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for them. We could call call it solemn convictions. You know, you speak to one person and they seem not to have the same convictions as the next person. Yea, even in the faith. We could call it solemn convictions. Convictions, what do they do? They move us. Convictions can improve us, refine us, and they do define us. Convictions make us or convictions break us. You see, it depends on the convictions we have. And again, we bring it back to that Set of two words, controlling force. The controlling force inside of us. It'll make us or break us. The controlling force inside of us. It can improve us. It can refine us. It can define us. But it depends on the controlling force. Our life is a product of our convictions. Even a lack of convictions is, in fact, a conviction. <laughs> you see, we all have convictions. We all have a controlling force inside of us 
things that are propelling us forward, something that is moving us forward, that's causing us to act in life. Our convictions, the controlling force of our life, boy, does it ever matter. Why does it ever matter? I want to ask tonight, what is the controlling force of our lives? What is that thing that is propelling us and moving us forward and compelling us and causing us to act in life? What's the controlling force? The voice reads, the controlling force in our lives is the love of the anointed one. You see, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 is the ideal. This is what it should look like for the Christian. This should be the controlling force in our lives, every single one of us. And that's where we find unity, and that's where we connect. And we're brought together. The J.B. Phillips New Testament, the very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. And the Amplified, for the love of Christ, controls and urges and impels us. You know, the truth tonight, for some, the controlling force is prosperity. The controlling force in life. That thing that is moving them forward is prosperity. For some, it's recognition. For some, it's fame. For some, it's self-gratification. For some, it's education. For some, it's reputation. For some, it's belonging. It's beauty. For some, it's society. For some, it's pop culture. And those are the things that fuel them and fire them. Cause them to move forward. Those are the very things that compel and impel and propel their life. A drive for prosperity. Really what's happened is that's become the controlling force. You see, not all of these are bad, but the life of the Christian is diametrically opposed to any of these as being the controlling force, the very spring of our actions. It's not that all these are bad things in life, but they can't be the controlling force. See, that's where we get into trouble when we as Christians replace the love of Christ, replace what truly should be the controlling force with something else like prosperity or recognition or fame or pleasure, self-gratification. The controlling force of our lives is the love of Christ, the very spring of our actions, the love of Christ. It's what controls and urges and impels us. This is what fuels and fires us. Let's read the King James Version. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That word constraineth is a powerful word. We're going to look at it just for a moment here. This word means to hold together. It's any whole, lest it fall to pieces or something fall away from it. It speaks of a strait that forces a ship into a narrow channel. Of a cattle squeeze that pushing in on each side, forcing the beast into a position where it cannot move. It speaks of a rest, of power. It's to urge, it's to impel. And I want to ask tonight, what holds us together lest we fall to pieces or something fall away? 
You see, prosperity can't hold you together. It may for a little while, it might hold pieces of your life together, but it can't hold the whole together. It can't be the controlling force in your life. You can choose it as the controlling force, but it's not wise. And for the Christian, it can't be the controlling force. Does that make sense? Because the Lord has already stipulated in his word what the ideal is, and that is the love of Christ being the controlling force. That from the love of Christ, all our actions in life spring. Everything we go after, everything we pursue, out of the love of Christ. We need the love of Christ to constrain us. That that very thing would force us to act, would compel us, and would restrict us. That the love of Christ would actually limit us to prevent us from the free expression this sick culture calls normal. We need the love of Christ to actually constrain us. That's what it's saying here. To limit us that we don't partake of these other things that the culture would partake of. We can even look at Christianity. We can look at the church. Like how many people have this as the reality? That the love of Christ is constraining them. That it's actually limiting them and preventing them from free expression. That this culture calls normal. You see, we got backwards a little bit today in some cases, and we've got a great group of people. We've got a great group of Christians on this side of eternity right now, on this side of the planet and all over the planet. We understand that. There are people that are fervent, but there are also those that have bought into this idea that it's okay to partake of the free expression that the culture and the world calls normal and still somehow have a life that's called Christian and still have some kind of life that they seem, I don't know how they do it, but they claim to have the love of Christ as the controlling force when really you just need to look at their life and the pattern and the actions and the fallout and whatever they're going after and the way they carry themselves. And you can soon see that, yeah, okay, maybe for that person it is prosperity or it's recognition or I can tell really the controlling force is fame or it's self-gratification, or self-indulgence, or it's their own little religion that they've made up, and that's the controlling force. They've made their own set of commandments and their own set of rules and regulations and standards, and it's all right. But that's not the life of the Christian. The love of Christ is so pure, it's so perfect, it's so holy, it's so extravagant. The truth is it's so beyond us and our comprehension, yet it's so close to us and so tangible. It's the most real thing in this world. That has to be our controlling force. That's the ideal for the believer. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that if he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Listen to those words. We're being exhorted here in the New Testament, but unto him which died for them and rose again. There's really only one point tonight. Live unto him. Live unto him. The New King James Version reads, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, that all died. 
and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. I mean, if I could get one thing across tonight, it's that every believer should no longer live for themselves. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so you can tell right away if your life is opposed to the life of discipleship and following the Lord. We can tell right away because if we're living for ourselves and unto ourselves, we're not falling in line with the New Testament pattern of Christianity. You might say, well, that sounds like an Old Testament thing. Well, I just read out of the New Testament. Not out of the Old. J.B. Phillips' New Testament, the very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. We look at it like this, if one died for all men, then in a sense they all died. And his purpose in dying for them is that their lives should no longer be lived for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for them. Can I encourage us all tonight to live unto him? To live unto him. To have him as our controlling force, to have his spirit as our controlling force, to have the love of Christ as our controlling force. What he's done for us and what he's doing in us. It's the very fact that we can be in relationship with him. Have him as our first love, as the word calls us to. Is the love of Christ the very spring of our actions? How do we look at it? His dying for us and his dying for all. What do we think his purpose in dying for us and for all was and is? I hope we know it tonight. It wasn't and isn't just so we can get into heaven past the pearly gates. It wasn't and isn't so we can simply find belonging in community or find solace in religion or find some kind of peace for our conscience. The love of Christ, the purpose of his dying for us and dying for all is that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. You see, it's in this that he can set us right. It's in this that he can bless us. It's in this that he can protect us and grow us and strengthen us and lead us. Cause us to live the kind of life on this side of eternity that God designed and that God desires. Watchman Nee said these words, I want nothing for myself. I want everything for the Lord. I want nothing for myself. I want everything for the Lord. And this might sound crazy, but I believe this is exactly the kind of life that has Christ's love as the controlling force. Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's what the word says. Galatians 2, 20, listen to these words. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I do live. We live. We're living tonight. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what it means to live unto him. I live, yet not I. That's what it means to live unto Jesus Christ. That's the kind of life I want. Nothing for myself, but I want everything for the Lord. And see, when we fall in line like that, you want to know the truth? You're going to get more than you could have ever imagined. But too many of us, 
We've got a worldly mind, not a spiritual mind. And therefore, we replace the love of Christ as the controlling force with something else. Because the world has told us that these other things, they'll get you further. They'll make you happier. They'll bring you more satisfaction, more pleasure, greater days. Charles Spurgeon, I'd die in a ditch if he be glorified. You know, we got a lot of people, I'll preach to 6,000 if he'll be glorified. Yeah, I'm sure you would. <laughs> I'll write a best-selling novel if it'll glorify his name. Of course you would. I'll be wealthy if it would bring him glory. We'd all be in for that. Have my own thing if he'd be glorified. Yeah. Live here if you be glorified. Whatever it is. But you see, when a man comes to the end of himself, that's when he can have all of Christ. And when he utters words like this, I'd die in a ditch if he be glorified. That's living unto him. That's no longer living unto ourselves, not one part, not one piece. That's all in. That's everything. Die in a ditch if you be glorified. How many can pray that prayer? How many do pray that prayer? We pray a lot of prayers, don't we? And we have an idea of how he's going to be glorified, just how he's going to use us. Then he's going to be glorified. But why don't we just get down on our hands and knees and say, God, I'll die in a ditch if you be glorified. And I'm not going to say heaven forbid it never happened because it might be the greatest thing. It's a special place in heaven for the martyrs, I'll say that. A person that is living to see Christ glorified in all things, no matter what, no matter the cost. You see, things are best for us when Christ is glorified. Things are best for us when Christ is glorified. No matter what, things are best for us when Christ is glorified. It's actually how we find real life. It's actually how we save our life. It's actually how we preserve our life. And we're going to read three scriptures here. Matthew 10, 39, it says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. How many know that's, that's not how the world thinks? Matthew 16, 25, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Luke 17, 33, whoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. So if I want to find my life, I have to lose my life for his sake. If I want to save my life, I have to lose my life for his sake. If I want to preserve my life, I have to lose it for his sake. That's what the word of God is telling us. And that's the life of the believer. 
For some people, they themselves are the controlling force of their life. It's an option, but not for the Christian. In everything we do, everywhere we go, the very spring of our actions, let it be the love of Christ. We're not living for ourselves. And this right here is the best thing we can do for ourselves. It's the best life we can give ourselves on this side of eternity. The greatest joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, prosperity, belonging, and so on. Because as a wise man once said, a preacher not too long ago, the only way to have your best life now is if you're going to hell when you die. A lot of us are so concerned with having the best life now, but our best life isn't now. Our greatest life isn't now. Now, if we give ourselves to Jesus, we will have the greatest life. We can live on this side of eternity, but it's still not the greatest life. Life with him through the endless ages is the greatest life. I guess we have to ask ourselves tonight, what is real life. Not what is reality, but what is really living. If we asked everybody in this room, we'd get a lot of different answers. But really, it should all be one. To live unto Him. That's really living. But we might get a lot of different answers in a room like this. different ideas of what it means to really live. If we go on and find our life, we'll lose our greatest life. We can only live one or the other. If we go about saving our life, we will lose our greatest life. We can only have one or the other. If we go about preserving our life, we will never have and never live and never know the greatest life that was ours in Christ Jesus. See, we all have the option to live two lives. We can only live one. We can only pick one. Real living only begins when we stop trying to find our lives in self or other things or other people. How many people nowadays are trying to find their life in, in self or stuff or people or position. Real living only begins when we stop trying to save our lives and preserve our lives. Real living only begins when we lose our lives. You see, Jesus found us, Jesus saves us, and Jesus preserves us. That's the bottom line. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that he died for us, welcomed us in to this incredible life. It really is a life beyond anything we could have thought up for ourselves. We follow his way, allow him to have his way. There's no greater life on this side of eternity. But again, I guess we have to ask ourselves, what is real life? 
Not what is reality, but what is really living. And our answer, what's our answer tonight? For you, it might be really living is that position, that tax bracket, that car, that house, that girl, that place, that vacation, that bank. I don't know what it is. Is that really living? You got to answer for yourself. Again, not what is reality, but what is really living. Let's have the worship team return. The love of Christ constraineth us. The controlling force in our lives is the love of the anointed one. The very spring of our actions is the love of Christ. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us. You see, we are all governed by a controlling force, every single one of us. And we are all going to choose our controlling force. And I ask tonight, what are we going to choose as our controlling force? It can change tonight. Maybe you came in here. Maybe we all came in here tonight. And we've got this messed up way where Christ is partially controlling, which that doesn't really work. And we're allowing other things to control us as well. Tonight, we can leave free. Tonight, we can just say, God, we got to change this. I need you as the controlling force. I need the love of Christ as the controlling force, not prosperity. That's just an idol we've set up inside. Again, there's nothing wrong with prosperity. I want to ask tonight, are we qualified to be the controlling force of our life? Is society qualified? Is pop culture qualified? It's insane that some people actually think pop culture is qualified to be the controlling force of their life. There are some people that actually believe that media is qualified to be the controlling force of their life. There are some people that believe, believe it or not, that sitcoms and the people and the characters, the idea and the ideals and the lifestyle and that glam that is anything but is qualified to be the controlling force in their life. Some singer, movie star, qualified. I'd say Jesus is far more qualified. There's only one qualified, and that one is Jesus. The controlling force in my life is the love of, I just see a big blank tonight. Many things could fill the blank. I'm going to give one example. Money could fill the blank. 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money, I want you to notice that tonight, is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. So this is not speaking of someone that's an unbeliever. It's saying they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, it's not that money is evil. That's just bad doctrine. It's not that money is evil, but the love of it is. When it becomes the controlling force of our lives, when it fills the blank rather than the love of Christ, 
about this, the very spring of my action is the love of, again, a big blank tonight. Many things could fill the blank, but life is only right when the blank is filled with the love of Christ. Let's stand tonight. Let's just honor him and lift him up. He's going to sing this chorus. If you need to set things right with the Lord, just do that tonight. Just say, Lord, I've, I've been allowing something else to be the controlling force in my life. And you know what it is. We don't need to make a list tonight. You'll know what it is. And if you don't know what it is, ask the Lord and he'll, he'll show you. He'll point it out. The Holy Spirit will point it out. Maybe there's something else. It's replaced the ideal. Tonight, just surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, repentance is a beautiful thing. It's not talked about much, but it's the way to freedom. It's the way to blessing. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've made it about something else. But Lord, I come back. These other things are great, but you know the word says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and other things will be added unto you. Don't worry about it. But don't make them the controlling force because that's when life gets messy and that's when life goes astray. That's when our faith starts to dwindle. That's when our relationship with Christ starts to break down. That's when our connection with the church starts to fall apart is when we got something else inside as the controlling force. Maybe it's the pressure that people are putting on you that's caused you to grab hold of another controlling force. Would you just ask the Lord to set you free from that, to set you free from the fear of man, to set you free from the pressures that friends have put on you or society's put on you or families put on you. And just go after God and let him work things out. Amen. Let's take a moment here and sing this and then we'll pray and close.